and ask God's help as we come to his word. Father, we acknowledge that we are here because you have initiated everything. You've called us. You, you, you created us, and in Christ you call us to trust him, that we may know you. Uh, we long that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We would love our neighbor as ourselves, And we know that as we read your word, we are incapable of doing such things in our own strength. So we come to you now. Would you speak to us? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? We want to step forward in obedience this day. And we look to you in Christ's precious name. Amen. How do you keep going as a Christian? How do you keep going as a Christian? How how are we supposed to live out uh, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been examining together over many months now? Uh, If we've been listening to Jesus, uh, we will be sort of approaching the end of this sermon with some trepidation. How are we supposed to to live this out? I mean, it's very easy at one level in, in, in Edinburgh to sort of talk about uh, loving your enemies. But at the end of the sermon on that Sunday, I chatted with one of our members, Esther Yongata, who had just come back from Nigeria. I think Joss in Nigeria. Kaduna. Thank you, Kaduna. Just up the northwest of Joss somewhere, isn't it? Something like that. She'd been in Kaduna. And the Sunday before... She had attended church in Kaduna, and uh, all the people going to church have to go through a perimeter, and the church hires security guards to check that no one has any bombs on them or any guns because of, such, uh, of the intense um, opposition that there is between those who are sort of radical Islamic uh, folk and the Christian community. And the church that um, Esther's husband attends, uh, the pastor has lost uh, one son because of the violence of Muslim extremists. And so it's one thing for us to sit here in Edinburgh and say, oh yes, uh, pray for your enemies, uh, love them, turn the other cheek. But how do you live that out if you live in Kaduna? And you've lost family and friends because your enemies have been violent and taken their lives. How, if you've been a young man whose sort of life has been sort of soaked in pornography before you came to Christ, and, and you've become a Christian, and you want to live in the way that he is taught in this passage, and, and you, you don't want to look at women lustfully, how do you face a long, hot summer where there's lots of skin around How do you live that out? How do you make a successful career in the world of business or finance or in banking when uh, all those who seem to do well uh, seem to be very focused on loving money, serving money, and you want to be someone who loves and serves God in that environment? How How do you obey the Sermon on the Mount in that? 
environment? Or how do we live out the teaching that we even saw last week of, of wanting to be helpful to our brothers and sisters in Christ and yet not become hypocrites, not become judgmental? How do we live this out? Well, what does Jesus have to say about it? Well, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read from verses 7 to 11. And if you uh, want to grab a church Bible, it's on page 971. 971. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is God's word. Now, do you see the logic at work in this sermon of Jesus as it draws to a close? We're going to see next week, in a sense, the, the, sort of the end of the main section of the sermon. And then Jesus moves into applications. There's two ways, the narrow and wide. There's... there's, uh, there's there's um, two ways to build your house and so forth. And, and, and the question is, how are we going to respond to the sermon? And we're, we're getting towards the end of the sermon. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus returns to the subject of prayer. You see, the virtues of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the countercultural lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to, is not possible by us just simply thinking that we can do it with our human resources. We can't maintain this life for any length of time, just kind of pulling everything we've got together and gritting our teeth and we will do this. No, it's just not possible. And that's why Jesus, as he comes to the end of this uh, sermon, tells us that actually we need to do it not depending on our resources, we need to depend upon the Father's resources, God's resources. Prayer, which is kind of the humble dependence upon God, is absolutely vital if we're going to live out the Christian life. And uh, I, I think it's wonderful that at the very point where we might begin to despair, Jesus actually gives us every encouragement to seek his resources. Every encouragement to go after God to enable us to live this out. Look at uh, verse 7. Jesus kind of underlines it. Three knocks of the hammer. Ask. Seek. Knock. Three commands saying the same thing. Ask. Seek. Knock. And, and I love this. This is a scene from everyday life in a family house. One of the children needs something. It's always something of the most utmost urgency. It's life and death, whatever it is. And so what do they do? They, 
they stand where they are and without any thought that this might be a problem they, they call out mom mom and if for whatever reason mom is not around what happens they start seeking after mom mom where's mom have you seen mom walking around the house mom mom and if that fails what happens then well the last resort you go up to your parents bedroom and you start knocking on the door mom mom now this is everyday life isn't it and here's the stunning truth of Jesus here's God the son come in human flesh and he wants us to know something beyond doubt that having repented and put our trust in Jesus we've not only become citizens of 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 the kingdom of heaven we've become children of God and he is urging us to enjoy the freedoms of being part of God's family you see if we lack all we need to call out is to our heavenly father ask Jesus says seek knock do it when I was in Papua New Guinea, uh, I, I was really interested to see that when they pray in pidgin English, um, this is how they start. Papa God. Isn't that great? That familial appropriation of that relationship with God. Papa God. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a, a very biblical way to talk to God. And Jesus is saying to us, yes, this life I'm calling to you is beyond you. So, so ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And um, the encouragement of Jesus is, is that this is not just a once-only offer. Uh, he is, if we understand the original language, what it says is this. It's something like this. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep knocking on heaven's door. So how are we to keep going in the Christian life? Jesus says, keep asking your heavenly Father. Keep depending on your heavenly Father. That's how you keep going. And, um, you know, I think Jesus knows that we kind of find this too hard to believe. It's, and he's trying to overcome our reluctance. So not only has he said it once, but he says it all over again in verse 8. And notice he stresses, who, who is it for? Verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks the door, it will be opened. So how we keep going as a Christian? Jesus says, keep asking. Keep depending on your heavenly Father. A few years ago, um, we were excited to be heading off for our summer holidays, the Reese family, to, um, to Worthing. My brother Steve had sent us the front door key to uh, a holiday house he had access to. And uh, so we left Edinburgh at 5 p.m. It was very exciting. We got in the car. It was a long drive. You know, you, you, you think, oh, you've got to London. You've still got to swing around London and go down the south coast. Well, we arrived in Worthing at about... Um, I think about 1.30 in the morning, something like that. And, you know, Worthing is full of retired people. 
who like to play bowls. It's the capital of, of bowls, old man bowls. So, no, young people play it too as well. Uh, but you know, you, know that, you know that game. Well, you know, it's deathly quiet after, uh, at that time in the morning. Everyone's asleep. They're all dreaming about the next morning and playing more bowls. And, um, and so we you know, got out of the t- car. We were exhausted. Got up to the door. I had the key. Fantastic. First key. Two locks. Two locks, one key. Everyone's pretty tired. We're, we're at the end of ourselves. We're pretty exhausted. One key, two locks. Now I thought to myself, I want, I, the neighbors probably got the keys. I don't know this for sure, but maybe the, the neighbors got the keys. So I approached the darkened house and... Um, I just very gently, as gently as I could, thinking, well, what if they're just up late watching something? No response. No response at all. My family's looking desperate. I'm feeling desperate. And I noticed that there's this huge kind of um, brass bell outside his door. <laughs> with a big ringer. So what did I do? Did I ring it with all my might? I'm British, of course I didn't. We slept in the car. Or attempted to sleep in the car overnight. Now, why did I not ring the bell for all it's worth? Because I wasn't sure of the response I was going to get from the owner. Um... Now, of course, if the neighbor had been my, my father, my dad, I would have rung that bell. Because I know uh, there, there's one person I can call day or night, and he's always happy to hear from me. And this is true of my dad. I mean, I, literally, I could call him at three in the morning and say I've got a problem, and he, would, he wouldn't sound annoyed. He'd say, oh, Paul, I can, let me help you. Because uh, that, that's the amazing thing about my dad. He's about the one person in the world that would be happy to hear from me any time or day. And if the neighbor had been my dad, no hesitation, I'd have rung the bell. And so as we, as we hear these amazing commands of Christ to ask and seek and knock, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, there's a question in our minds, is this going to be well received? And that's what Jesus goes on to address in verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It is a simple contrast, isn't it? It's not a flattering contrast. Did you notice that? It's a simple one, but not a flattering one. Now, we're going to deal with the main point in a moment, but we should notice two important facts that Jesus just casually mentions along the way. Here is the unflattering truth about us human beings. Compared to an infinite, holy, good God, we are evil. Do you notice that Jesus said? Though you are evil. Just throws it in along the way. Now, this is a bit hard for us to take, perhaps. Uh, so I want you to imagine with me a ladder. And um, 
you know, let's just say at the bottom of the ladder is, uh, is, is evil. And at the top of the ladder is, is good, morally good. Um, you know, where would you put uh, someone like Mother Teresa? Where would she fit on the ladder? Well, I think people who've known something about Mother Teresa and a sort of a selfless sacrifice for the poor, most people on the street would say, well, they'd put her somewhere near the top, near the top of the ladder. She's, she's a good, she was a good lady. It was amazing what she did. Well, here's another person. What about Osama bin Laden? Uh, where would you put Osama bin Laden on that ladder? Well, I think most people in Edinburgh would probably say somewhere near the bottom of the ladder. Now here's the question. What about you? Where would you put yourself on that ladder? How many rungs up from the bottom would you put yourself? Well, I I think in truth we're probably too modest to put ourselves too close to the top, but uh, we wouldn't like to be considered too near the bottom. You know, somewhere just above the middle, we would probably put ourselves. Well, where's God on this ladder? I think it's important for us to realize that if the top of this ladder is God, then this ladder actually isn't 10 foot tall, it's 10 miles. And the truth is, when we consider the infinite holiness of God and his utter goodness, then the truth is, even though there might be a bit of differentiation near the bottom of the ladder, the truth is of us that we are evil compared to God. We are selfish. We are sinful. And this is our fundamental problem, that as unforgiven sinners, we are separated from God. Uh, There's a reason that people feel disconnected from God, and that's because we are, because of our sin. He's so far beyond us. But you notice the second uh, casual aside from verse 11, and it it is that that the difference between Jesus and us. Did you notice that in verse 11? If you then, though you are evil, did you notice he didn't include himself? He doesn't say if, 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 You then, though we are evil. No, he says you. There's a difference between Jesus and us. Jesus stands unique uh, amongst humanity, for he never sinned and is wholly good. And it is his moral perfection as someone who's fully human and fully divine that enables him to become our savior as he went to die upon a cross and take the penalty for our sins. And that he was raised from the dead as a vindication that he was the perfect sacrifice to fully pay for all our sins. You see, the point is we can't climb up this ladder to God. God had to come down this ladder in human flesh, in Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. But of course, those are just asides from the main point. Uh, the main point is this rather unflattering contrast. See, when our children 
ask us for helpful food to sustain them. Even we, who are evil, kind of selfish people, uh, even we don't give them harmful things that will hurt them. We don't put a stone that looks like bread so they'll crack their teeth on it. We don't put a serpent in the place of them asking for a fish. So, how much more confident can we be that our good, loving, heavenly Father will know how to give good gifts to those who ask Him? You see, at the question is, what will reception will I get when I knock on the door? The answer is, you'll get a very warm welcome. There is no reluctance in our heavenly Father. He'd be delighted when you call upon Him in prayer. Now, there's something very important to notice, I think, in verse 11. And it is that phrase, give good gifts. It would be tempting just to rip these verses, I think, out of context. And um, sort of to treat these verses of Jesus as if he's saying, well, prayer is like a magic lamp. And if you rub the lamp, the genie will come out and will do whatever you ask. And that will be to rip out these verses uh, out of the context of the Sermon on the Mount and out of the whole Bible. As if to think that, well, you know, if I ask God for a Bentley Continental or a Lamborghini, he's, I'm going to receive it. Ask and you will receive. Or, for instance, if, if I want to be healed of a particular disease, all I have to do is knock on heaven's door and guaranteed I'd be healed. That's kind of the, the genie in the lamp version of prayer. And it's clearly not what Jesus is teaching here. It would be very superficial to understand it in that way. It would be just ripping these verses out of context. And actually, a moment's thought, what an awful thing if God did actually answer all our prayers exactly as we asked them. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever asked God some really dumb things? I have. I'm certainly glad that God has not done exactly what I've asked him for in the past. As parents, we know it is not always very uh, loving or wise to give our children exactly what they ask for. In fact, it might be quite unloving to give them exactly what they ask for. And we might raise spoiled brats in the, in the process. One of the freedoms that the Christian enjoys in prayer is this, that he knows he can ask the Father for everything and know that this God who is wholly good is so wise that he will only give good gifts. He'll not always answer in the way that we ask him to. He who knows the end from the beginning, who knows all the consequences of all things, will only give his children the good gifts that are for our ultimate good. Even if at times that may appear as if he's ignoring us or that the answer is appearing to be no. Now in the, in the June edition of Evangelicals Now, which is a, a monthly periodical, pay £12 a year, you get a fresh copy every month, I'd highly recommend it. In the Evangelicals Now this month, there's a very moving article uh, telling a story of this girl, Esther Childress, one of six children. Her dad is a pastor of Grace Baptist Chapel in Tottenham. And actually, Shona, Shona met her, uh, met her mum uh, on a number of occasions. But in the late summer of 2011, at the age of 12, she was diagnosed with 
bone cancer. And over a year, she endured six different kinds of chemo, uh, three operations, um, radiotherapy. And although I'm sure that many prayed for healing, this didn't take place. And uh, she died at the age of 14 uh, in December last year. But as people prayed, this was her experience. It actually caused her, who at the age of um, 12, already begun heading in some very rebellious directions. It caused her to turn to Christ for salvation. And it pushed her into a deeper trust in him. At her baptism, you actually can hear her giving her baptism on YouTube, uh, her um, testimony. And she summed up her experience like this. It may sound crazy, but although this illness has brought me a lot of pain and discomfort, and although I can't do everything I would like to do, in some ways this illness has changed my life for the better. I don't know what I would have been like if I hadn't got ill. I don't know that I would have got saved or appreciated life or realized that every day that I live is a blessing from God. I thank God for making me ill. It made me accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. She concluded, I'm so grateful that God has given me 13 years of life, loving parents who've supported me, friends and family who've continued praying for me, and most importantly, his son Jesus Christ, who died for me. The greatest gift that we can receive in prayer is God himself. It's more of God. In the parallel passage in Luke's gospel, Jesus uh, says this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Surely, the best gift that God can give us is himself. A greater measure and experience of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Now the point is that God in his grace might well continue to generously provide for us even though we're prayerless. Um, but we will certainly miss out on the privilege of a daily growing relationship and friendship with God and a deepening experience of trust with him. And we'll certainly not make progress in seeing the fruits of the Sermon of the Mount uh, in our lives. At best, we'll stay in immaturity. I mean, just think about the life of Jesus. How did he persevere against such opposition? How did he press on towards the cross? Well, read through the Gospels and you'll see it was for him, as the Son of God even, a deep dependence in prayer upon his Father. That is how... He kept pressing on. How is it that we're going to keep going in the Christian life? King Jesus says this, keep asking. How are we going to keep going? Keep asking. Keep depending on our Father in heaven. Don Carson puts it like this, citizens of the kingdom of heaven are marked by a poverty of spirit, purity of heart, truth, compassion, a non-retaliatory spirit, a life of integrity, and we lack all these things, then let us ask for them. Are you as holy, as meek, as truthful, as loving, as pure, as obedient to God as you'd like to be? Then ask him for grace to, uh, that these virtues may multiply 
in your life. So how are we going to respond to this invitation of Jesus today? He would say to us, ask, seek, knock. What's our plan this week? When have you planned to pray this week? Now, it's great to do the impromptu prayer stuff, but I think we also need to plan to pray. When is your plan to pray? Do you have a plan where you get up a little bit earlier before breakfast to read your Bible and pray? Or do you plan to kind of take out a bit of your lunch break just to get somewhere quiet and pray? Do you plan to find some quiet time in the evening or just before you sleep where you're going to give yourself to prayer? What's your plan tomorrow? There's no reluctance in the Father. Do we get this? The problem is us, in our pride, in our forgetfulness, in our self-dependence. Why do we act like orphans when we have a Father who is delighted to give what we ask? He knows how to give good good gifts. John Newton wrote a great hymn on prayer and he says this in one of his verses you are coming to a king large petitions with you bring for his grace and power as such none can ever ask too much let's pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. and Forgive us our sins. Keep us from the evil one. Father, we thank you for this great privilege of depending upon you. Grow us in this, this childlike trust and confidence that you love to give good gifts. Father, grow in us the very things that we lack, that we may be more like Jesus, that we may be salt and light to this uh, city of Edinburgh. We ask this, giving thanks that Jesus Christ has covered all our sins has made the way clear that we are in your family. In his name we we thank you. Amen.